This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. After the crazy last couple of days, I have to say it's been pretty nice to not have to look at the news and think, man, that was a crazy week of earnings. And we got another week of earnings coming up. Not as crazy, luckily, but it's still going to be a little bit chaotic in the markets potentially coming in to this upcoming week. And we got some news that we got to finish up from the last couple of days from the market news as well. And some breaking news that is coming out as well. First off, in today's podcast, we're going to be talking about Intel and how Intel last week announced up to $10 billion in cost reductions through 2025, okay? Then we got some little minor news from Amazon, which kind of was pushed under the rug, but Amazon quietly gave $400,000 to conservative nonprofit that opposed new antitrust legislation. Hmm. Interesting how the market didn't freak out about that or that other news medias are not talking about it currently right now. Then we got some news from the state of freight, okay? This, the diesel market is in a perfect storm as prices surge, supply dwindles ahead of winter. And what does that potentially mean for the markets going forward? And then we got some news from Twitter, but GM is apparently canceling their ad advertising on Twitter. And Elon Musk is saying he's going to put a board together or some type of council to be able to figure out if people can get back on the Twitter platform. And what does that all mean for Twitter going forward? But like I said before the beginning of each podcast, I'm not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. And everything I talk on this podcast is for information purposes only. You need to do your own research before investing as you're not guaranteed to make money when you invest in the stock market. Please also note too that your, your professional advisor would actually know your financial situation a lot better than I would. And they can help you guide you along your way for your financial situation. I legally cannot give you any financial advice and everything on this podcast is for information and, er and entertainment purposes only. With that being said, let's begin today's podcast. Intel announces up to 10 billion in cost reductions through 2025. Intel shares moved more than 7% in extended trading on Thursday after the chip maker announced lower than expected guide, uh, earnings guidance for the full fiscal year, but said it will deliver up to 10 billion in cost reduction and efficiency improvements. Here's what the company's dead. Earnings was 59 cents per share adjusted versus 32 cents per share as expected by analysis, according to Refinitiv. Revenue is 15.34 billion versus 15.25 billion expected by analysis, according to Refinitiv. Overall revenue declined 15% year over year in the quarter, which ended on October 1st, according to a statement. In the previous quarter, revenue declined 22%. The company's net income at 1.02 billion was down for 6.82 billion in a year ago quarter. Quote, we're planning... For the economic uncertainty to persist in 2023, CEO said in a conference call, which analysis a global recession is possible and Intel's financial chief, Dave Zinsner. Intel's aiming for a $3 billion reduction of cost of sales and operating expenses in 2023, and almost an annual savings will be reached at $8 billion to $10 billion by the end of 2025. Bloomberg reported earlier this month that Intel was planning to cut employees, possible in thousands, in a bid to lower costs days after the Organian reported that Glenn Singer warned employees that the company would be instituting cuss cut correction would be instituting cuss cutting measures quote exclusive in our efforts will be steps to optimize our headcount. These are difficult decisions affecting our loyal Intel family. Glenn Singer said on the 
Thursday, it's called the company's client computing group that indicates PC chips generated 8.12 billion in revenue down 17%, but above the 7.58 billion consensus among analysis polled by street account technology industry researcher Gardner said that in the third quarter, PC shipments declined almost 20% after two years of consumers buying computers to work, study and play games from the home during the pandemic. Intel said demand for PC softened in the quarter, mainly in the consumer and education markets, while device makers reduced their inventories. The company's data center and AI segment, including server chips, memory, field programmable uh, gate arrays, posted 4.21 billion revenue, down 27% and lower than the street account at consensus of 4.67 billion. You know, Intel is probably one of those companies that's going to do well within these next few years, especially if they get their plant made in the United States for the chips industry in the making. I keep saying it. I think chips are going to be the next big thing in the making. They're going to be the new oil. People are saying that the new oil is technically, what was it that we had read the other day? Can't remember, but it's not chips they were talking about. I honestly believe the chip market is the next big oil in the making. The only reason I say that is because with chips, there's going to be a demand for them, whether it's in cars, whether it's in military weapons, you name it. Not financial advice, obviously, but the chip industry, in my opinion, is going to be the next gold market in the making, especially if there becomes conflict in any way, shape or form within the Asia areas, because that's where a lot of the chips are currently made right now. I mean, you already have nations that are trying to form partnerships already and alliances for chips. So that should give you an idea of what is coming next. On to the next article now. Amazon quietly gave 400000 to conservative nonprofit that opposed new antitrust legislation. Amazon quietly donated 400000 to a conservative nonprofit last year. By the way, this is from CNBC reporting this. As the group pushed back on the antitrust bills being considered in Congress, according to the documents reviewed by CNBC, the Independent Women's Forum received the six-figure co- contribution from the e-commerce giant in 2021. The same year, the group wrote columns speaking out against bills that could strengthen antitrust enforcement. The donations is tied for the second highest contribution listed on the documents, showing last year top donors to the conservative nonprofit. Amazon disclosed through annual political engagement statements that the Independent Women's Forum was among the nonprofits to receive at least 10000 last year in 2020 from tech giants. Those disclosures did not list an exact dollar amount for the contributions, however. Carrie Lucas, the former president, sent a letter last year to House Oversight Committee Chair Carolyn um, Maloney, Democrat from New York, that the group is proud to receive support from the variety of foundations, individuals, all income levels, and from a few corporations. The vast majority of donors, 89%, are small, individual donors under 5,000. The letter was responded to a request from Republican, uh, correction, Representative Jackie Spire, Democrat from California, a member of the Oversight Committee speaking information on the group funding. In addition to the position against antitrust legislation, the group also reported helping craft a letter opposing schools forcing children to wear COVID-19 protective masks. And its affiliate and reported involved in efforts to minimize political blowback to Republicans as a result of the Supreme Court's decision overturning the constitutional right to abortion. Last February, Senator Amy Klobuchar, of Democrat from Minnesota, introduced a bill that would propose to increase the budget of the Justice Department's Antitrust Division and the Federal Trade Commission, both of which have looked into whether big technology companies compete fairly. Days later, the Independence Woman Forum published a column with the headline, Senator Kovachar's New Bill, a Dangerous Signal for Big Tech. In the article, a director of the group, Patrick uh, Onwuka, named checks Apple, Google, 
Facebook and Amazon and suggests that these type of legislations could hurt consumers and raves about the tech giants. Big tech is tremendously beneficial of consumers, small business, students, and voters. In October 2021, uh, Kolberchar and Senator Chuck Grassley, Republican from Iowa, introduced a second bill that would give antitrust agencies more um, ammunition to take the powerful tech companies. The American Innovation and Choice Online Act would prohibit tech companies from self uh, prefacing a favoring their own products and services from competitors. Such legislations could affect how Amazon advertises its own products on its websites. Now, the only thing I'm going to say about this for this whole Amazon situation is I think a company should be able to donate who they want to donate. They just have to be able to live with the consequences that are coming next. And like I said, I'm quite surprised this wasn't talked a little bit more on the news but it wasn't. It was kind of like mentioned. And then there was like other news that was coming out from Amazon the same day. So it's almost like as if everything from Amazon that day was just buried. I mean, maybe it's just that time of year where there's just not enough time to get all the news out before an election. Obviously, midterms are coming up here in the United States. And of course, how the midterm elections pan out will determine how the markets will go going forward. But at the end of the day, Companies have a right to be able to potentially donate money where they want to donate. But like I said, I'm just surprised that this isn't bigger news currently right now. And I'm also surprised that it isn't being talked about. Continuing on the article, says CNBC discovered that Amazon's donation on a 990 form, the Independence Woman's Form, filed to the Secretary of State's office in South Carolina. Experts who study nonprofit groups and their financial records explained the public dis disclosure of donors on the form, was it atypical and would have been a mistake for South Carolina's Secretary of State Office Mark Hamid, South Carolina's Republican Secretary of State, to current, who is currently up for re-election. Quote, to me, it looks like a disclosure of its nonprofit donors was inadvertent. It looks like the state regulators in the South Carolina failed to redact the names of the donors on the Schedule B of his tax filing by the Independent Women's Forum. Michael Beckley, a researcher director of Watchdog Group, issued one told CNBC in an email. Yeah, companies have a right to choose who they want to be able to, who they, who, they, who they support in general, okay? And then later on, the article says, Amazon's not the only big tech supporter. In previous years, Facebook and Google have been listed as organization sponsors for annual galas, according to the events program. Google has been listed the Independent Women's Forum as one of the outside groups that receives the most substantial contributions from Google, U.S. government affairs, and public policy team, although it does not show an amount. Google and Facebook are not listed as sponsors of most of the recent Independent Women's Forum Gala and took place earlier this month, according to the program made public. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see if this news ever does break out. And if it does, whoever accepted the accepted the accepted the donations. Yeah, we're gonna hear a lot in the news potentially about it. But we'll, we just thought we'd report that because it was interesting that Amazon was having this come out and yet no one's talking about it. So. Now on to the next article. The diesel market is in a perfect storm as prices surge, supply dwindles ahead of winter. A perfect storm is taking place in the diesel market with dwindling diesel reserves. A drought on the Mississippi River, apparently I didn't know there was a drought in the Mississippi River, pushing more product to rail and truck, and a possible rail strike leading to a surge in prices than expected to continue. Diesel prices have increased by 33% for November deliveries. The national average price for diesel today is $5.30 per gallon and is expected to go up 15 to 20 cents in the next few weeks. 
said Andy Lipo, president of Lipo Oil Associates. Reserves for diesel this time of year have not been this low since 1951, with the greater shortfall in the northeast region, including to New York, including New York and, and New England. This is not only consider um, correction. This is not only constricting the ability of farmers to export the soybeans and grain they grow, but also to receive fuel and fertilize that they need to operate, said Mike Stenho, executive director at Soy Transportation Co Coalition of the low water conditions that have turned the Mississippi River from a multi-lane interstate into a two-lane highway. Now adding, now adding insult to injury is the increased uncertainty that railroads will be able to provide the effective lifeline during this critical time. It's a valid reminder that it's not enough to produce a crop or have demand for that crop. Having reliable supply chain that connects supply with demand is also essential for farmers to be successful. Two railroad unions recently voted a labor down bill needed to avert a national strike in the coming months. Yeah, this is going to get interesting with the strike coming up potentially, okay? Because that's going to cause a major supply chain hiccup in the making potentially. But this is where I find things interesting in this article, okay? One of the reasons why, and, and this could be a reason too, why gas prices for the longest time were up for so high, okay? Did you guys know that in 1920, the United States passed an act called the Jones Act? I didn't know it either, okay? But it was, okay? And this article, it says, the Jones Act restrict on foreign vessels. And I thought, what is this Jones Act, okay? The article says, in order for the Northeast to receive more diesel, the fuel needs to be imported from another country or a tanker from the Gulf Coast. But that is not allowed because of the Jones Act, also known as the Merchant Marine Act of 1920, which prohibits a foreign vessel from transporting all goods between two U.S. ports. Quote, the Jones Act requires all cargo transport transported between the U.S. ports be carried on ships that are U.S. flagged and built and mostly owned by crewed by Americans, said Captain so the captain from the United States Western Regional Executive Marine Traffic. According to Marine Traffic, the 55 Jones Act tankers are being used. One way to add more supply quickly is for the Department of Homeland Security to temporarily waive the act for foreign vessels to move the fuel. The Jones Act was last waived for a tanker filled with diesel from the Gulf to the hurricane-stricken Puerto Rico where energy was needed to, for the power generators. As a result, the smaller quantity of U.S.-owned and operated tankers available for energy transport, the price to book a Jones Act tanker is about doubled that of a foreign tanker. For example, a Jones Act tanker carrying 300,000 barrels of diesel from Houston to Boston costs approximately 16 cents per gallon. If the Jones Act was waived, a foreign flag tanker carrying the same amount of fuel and heading to the identical locations is estimated to cost half, 8 cents per gallon. The eight cents per gallon difference translates to one million savings per tanker. This is the only. This is the one reason why the energy trade favors using foreign flag tankers versus the Joan Axe tanker. Quote: If the Biden administration wants to replenish New England gasoline or distilled inventories at the expense of exports, they need to waive the Jones Act for refinery products loading on the Gulf Coast for delivery to New York, New Jersey, and New England. You know, I looked into the history of the Jones Act a little bit too. And I have to say, the Jones Act was originally made because the United States realized that they were kind of in a hard situation where if they were ever to, like, they, in the article that I was reading, it said something along the lines of, they had realized that they, they called them foreign places, or I believe it was, they said that there were, that those other countries would have their own interest and that they wouldn't have the interest of the United States to help. And so by passing the Jones Act, apparently it allowed them to 
control the trade within their own country. And it also caused a monopoly to trade to Alaska only, which at the time was a U.S. territory, if I'm not mistaken. What was also interesting about the Jones Act is there's been a few times where it has been waived. Obviously, they said the Puerto Rico one. And they also said, I believe it was in 2002, I think it was, if I remember correctly. But the whole purpose was they were like, hey, we got to be able to start building our own ships here within the United States. And we have to be able to start having our own ships carry our own supplies because we're not guaranteed to have other country countries have interest in our success. If only we had that today as well. Imagine what we could do here in this country with that type of attitude. At the same token, this Jones Act apparently says you have to have a crew at least of 75% Americans in these ships that are being, transporting the fuel around. That was an interesting read to look into. And at the same time, it seems like the Jones Act in particular, if I if I understood it correctly, I'd have to read into it again, but it sounded like the Jones Act didn't allow ships to like go up rivers, like from the Mississippi River, which makes sense because you don't want to have enemy nations taking recon missions, I guess, from their own ships, right? And apparently there's only like a few countries that have this type of situation, the United States being one of them. So we're not alone in this, but they have their own acts. I don't know what it is exactly, but it's an interesting read. I'd highly advise looking into the Jones Act a little bit more. Last thing we're going to read, and it has to do everything with Twitter right now. GM temporarily suspends advertising on Twitter following Elon Musk takeover. From Detroit, from CNBC, General Motors is suspending its advertising on Twitter following Elon Musk takeover the social media platform, the company told CNBC on Friday. The Detroit automaker, a rival of Musk-led electric vehicle maker, Tesla said it's pausing advertising as it reevaluates Twitter's new direction. It will continue to see the to use the platform to interact with customers, but not pay for advertising GM add-in. Quote, we are engaging with Twitter to understand the direction of the platform under their new ownership as a normal course of business with significant change in media platform. We have temporarily paused our paid advertising. Our customers' care interactions on Twitter will continue, the company said in an emailed statement. Under CEO Mary Barry, Barra, I mean, the Detroit company was among the first automakers to announce billions of dollars in spending to better compete with against Tesla and the battery electric vehicle segment. A spokesperson for Ford, another Tesla rival, told CNBC that the automaker is not currently advertising on Twitter and had not been doing so prior to Elon Musk's takeover private deal. They added, that, quote, we will continue to evaluate the direction of the platform under the new ownership. However, when presented with a screenshot of the prominent tweet uh, from Ford CEO Jim Farley, the spokesperson could not confirm when was the last time Ford or its collaborators may have paid for ads, including promoted tweets on the platform. Ford is continuing to engage with its customers on Twitter. Other auto companies, including uh, Stellatus and Alphabet's owned Waymo, did not immediately respond to requests for comment on whether they plan to suspend advertising on Twitter or discontinue using social media platforms in the wake of Musk 44 billion buyout on Twitter. Electric truck maker uh, Nikola said it had no plans to change anything regarding the platform. Rivian declined to comment. You know, I find this interesting. We've been talking about this a lot, and this is something that we, we've talked about with earnings recently that came out. We know Google didn't do well on the advertising side of things. We know Facebook didn't do well on the advertising side of things as well. I was going to report today a little bit about Pinterest and how Pinterest did pretty well with its ad revenue, which is interesting because Pinterest was the only, well, not, I can't say the only, but it was one of, I think, the few companies that actually did well in the advertising world of things. Snapchat didn't do well, obviously. 
but Pinterest did well, which is surprising. Now you have Twitter and these companies are now being like, oh, we're going to see where this goes. I think in reality, it's having to do with the fact that they don't know what's going to happen to Elon. And I think these companies are currently afraid of a backlash that could potentially come, especially whatever Elon does. Okay. And this is what I'm talking about. It says Elon plans Twitter content moderation council as questions about Trump return loom. From CNBC, after closing the $44 billion transaction to take Twitter private, Tesla and SpaceX CEO Elon Musk, now the de facto CEO of Twitter, announced that he has plans to form a content moderation council at the social network company. He says he will not make any major decisions or reinstate any accounts that were previously banned before the council conveys. In May of 2020, Musk, after Musk had agreed to buy Twitter at $54.20 per share, he said that he would reverse Twitter's lifetime ban on former President Donald Trump if acquisition if the acquisition went through. At the time, Musk said, quote, I would reserve the permanent ban. Correction, wow. I would reverse the permanent ban. I don't own Twitter yet. So this is not like a thing that will definitely happen because what if I don't own Twitter? Musk has not yet offered details about how his content modification moderation council will work, who will be invited to it, and whether Twitter will be more or less better because of it. You know, it's interesting. This whole thing with Twitter right now, it's, I don't know where this is going to be going at the end of the day. And the only reason I'm questioning a lot of this is like, what happens if Twitter, like, they... They decide like, hey, we're going to bring back these people. I mean, what's going to happen at the end of the day? And all honestly, like how are people going to react to it? Okay. I mean, right now in the investing world right now, there's ESG, Environment Social Governance. And these companies, they're trying to keep their ESG scores up currently right now. And... They want to be able to continue selling to their customers, okay? These ESG scores, though, because here's the thing. They're, they're, what's going to be interesting is if these companies decide, like, hey, we're not going to be doing this ESG stuff anymore. I mean, not ESG stuff anymore, but if they if they decide, like, we, we're no longer going to post on Twitter. I mean, for instance, GM apparently is an ESG gov- company now. And if they decide we're not going to post on Twitter anymore, what other companies are not going to be posting on Twitter anymore? And all honestly, I think it'll give you an idea of all the ESG companies out there and what they're currently thinking. Because like, let's just use Trump as the example. If they, if Elon Musk says we're unbanning Trump, Trump has said he would not come back on the platform no matter what, because I think he has his own company now for social media. But it would be interesting because these companies would then say, okay, we're not going to promote on your your, your site anymore for Twitter. Then Elon has to decide, do I care about keeping all this, all these ESG companies to be able to keep providing, providing advertising on my platform? Or do I just say it's not worth it at the end of the day? I mean, Twitter probably has a lot of potential and all honestly, it will now with Elon Musk in charge after releasing the former CEO and a a bunch of other people in the higher up management have been released. I think Twitter could become back to its glory days of advertising again. I mean, we've been reading articles in the past where Twitter wasn't even accepting election or political 
advertising for candidates. And now you have a new CEO in charge. I think a lot of these companies are going to start revealing their true colors. And honestly, I mean, if a company wants to go down an ESG route, that's totally up to them. But even Elon Musk, who apparently is supposed to be the leader in the environmental side of ESG, they were kicked out. We reported this months ago. And I would highly advise this in that podcast from months ago when we were talking about Elon Musk and how his company had been kicked out of the ESG. There's actually an entire index. I believe it's called like the ESG 500. And you can look up every single company that's on that list. You obviously have companies that are not going to be on it. Like for instance, you're not going to have oil companies on the ESG list of the S of the S and P 500. You're not going to have, I think hospitals on there and certain banks, obviously too, because some banks give money to oil companies for drilling. But if there's anything with environment, social or governance, that's not going to be on there. And it's going to be interesting to see where these companies are. There's going to be a huge backlash, what backlash, whether it's people who are upset because a company decided no longer to post on Twitter and they're revealing their quote unquote ESG score, or there's going to be a backlash because these companies decide, Oh, we'll, we'll keep posting on here. It all depends on what this board does. And I'm curious to know what's going to happen at the end of the day. And we'll continue paying attention. But what I really want to know too is whatever Elon decides, and I hope whoever's listening to this podcast that you take an effort to do this, or maybe someone is already going to be doing this, who knows. But what I'm curious to know is when when these companies decide what to do after Elon Musk decides to either allow people back on the platform or not to allow them, right? What I'm most curious about at the end of the day is how will an ESG company do versus a non-ESG company in the long run? And all honestly, okay, I can think of one ESG company for sure. Well, not really company, but companies and like anything that's solar power, like I believe those are ESG companies. If I'm almost not mistaken too, most solar power companies, I don't think they make money currently right now. I could be wrong. I've looked into solar companies in the past and I didn't see if they were making, I mean, I didn't think at the time they were making money if I was looking at their balance sheets correctly. But like, that's one example of an ESG company versus an oil company. Oil companies are doing well right now because the oil market is just really hot right now. And so oil companies are making a lot of money. That's a non-ESG company. Whereas solar panels, those are considered ESGs, at least in one segment, like I've said. So I'm curious to know at the end of the day, when the time comes, when these companies decide what to do, who's the one who's going to be making the money for ES for ESG versus non-ESG? And I wonder if that's going to change investing going forward. I mean, all I believe ESG is a social credit score. Could be wrong. Haven't really looked into it that much. But from what I understand, this is going to get real interesting to see who survives at the end of the day. ESG companies or non-ESG? Because at the end of the, end of the day, it's still about making money if a company wants to thrive. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens when this time comes. And I hope there's a report that comes out so we can read about it here on this podcast and continue to study the market and be able to figure out what's happening. So yeah, interesting times that we live in. So, and I'll leave it there. With that being said, thank you so much for today's podcast. I hope you have enjoyed it. If you had, please like and subscribe to this podcast. Every like and subscription helps grow this podcast so we'll be able to keep talking about events that are happening on Wall Street that Wall Street isn't always willing to be able to talk about. Please continue to share with friends or family, fellow podcast listeners, as you help grow this channel as much as possible. And I've, I'm eternally grateful for your support at this time. Thank you for listening to today's podcast today. 
Thank you and goodbye.